Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette. And today we have an episode all about wellness, nutrition, and guilt-free joy in grad school with Dr. Hortensia Jimenez. I'm really excited <laughs> that she said yes. <laughs> our, our special guest is uh, Dr. Hortensia, who is from Huichol ancestry. She was born in the Sierra Madre in the state of Nayarit, Mexico, and immigrated to the United States with her paternal grandmother and aunt. She holds an, a BA, MA, and PhD in sociology and is also a certified health coach and intuitive eating counselor, among many, many other titles. Welcome to the podcast, Doctora Hortensia. <laughs> Hola, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure and an honor to share this space with you and your audience. I'm really excited. Thank you. Of course, I've been meaning to have you on the podcast. Y no sé por qué no te había invitado <laughs> now. Yay. It was the right time, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I've been following your work. And I know, uh, I think I first heard about your work with the Chicana Mother Work Anthology. And since then, been following you on the social media spaces, and I'm really excited. I love what you do. I love the message that you share. And I thought this would be a good time to have a discussion about wellness, about nutrition, and also, you know, how it intersects with joy. But for folks who are not familiar with who you are and what you do, I would love if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself. And even if you're comfortable sharing a little bit more about your backstory, too. Yes, of course. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a proud mama. I have three beautiful kids, ages 15, 13, and soon to be 11. Um, so motherhood is a big part of my identity of who I am, and it really intersects with my profession as a uh, sociology professor. I teach at the community college. I teach sociology. Um, and as you know, uh, and especially for our audience, it's so important to really center our, our parenting or motherhood in academia and the different spaces that we occupy right in the community because yes. we're always pressured to compartmentalize ourselves. And mm -hmm. I feel that I've challenged this uh, since I started my PhD program, you know, I'm deciding to, to get pregnant. But um, why am I sharing this? Just because, you know, motherhood is a big part of who I am and it shapes how I see the world, the work that I do and, and you know, and and the, I guess the issues or the social problems that I see in our Latinx community. And I'm really uh, invested in um, teaching at the community college because there's, of course, you know, <laughs> underrepresentation yeah. of us. And I just feel this is, this is my calling, my passion to teach at the community college. And another passion of mine is education, but within the realm of um, healing your relationship with food and your body through anti-dieting. 
uh, which is sort of movement uh, of basically letting go of diets and the impact that I, that has had in my life is that because I did diets growing up, there was a lot of uh, body shaming. And even, even now I still go through that, even though I carry think privilege, it's different. And, you know, there's a lot of eating disorders among Latinx community. There's a lot of food insecurity. And I want to bring a lot of, I want to bring in a social and racial justice lens to the work that I do in the health and wellness sector, which is underrepresented of Latinx, especially on social media, which is another conversation. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I, I have all those, right? So I resist to be just one dimensional. I'm everything at once (laughs) and it's complicated, messy, very nuanced. But that's who we are, right? I love that. I love everything that you just said. And I think we meet, we need more of that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that I feel like you're the right person to talk about this topic. Actually, just a little follow-up question. How mm-hmm. did you get to, I, what, um, what brought you to this interest of wellness yes. and nutrition and that, and also spirituality, I would say. Yes, it's, wow, it's so much. I feel like we need like part two, <laughs> but, um, you know, oh goodness. Well, you know, my own lived experience as an immigrant, um, and I wanted to, I had my own history of, of, of dieting which is linked to so many other like issues that we face in our community i'm going to be very honest you know how does like the shaming of our bodies how does the surveillance Mm. and social control of our bodies by patriarchy that is enforced by the matriarchs and our family it is so oppressive and i'm healing i'm 42 i'm healing that right now and that has a big impact in in how i treat how i view my body Mm. and the foods that i eat and so um really that's and i see that there is you know as an academic i see there's a lack of representation of our voices in academia and then i start social media due to the pandemic i was doing a lot of work in the immigrant community here where i live and i couldn't you know we couldn't do a lot of stuff so i decided to begin my journey on on social media and open an instagram and i realized like i was trying to do research on social media to look at other (laughs) other latinx accounts i was like oh my goodness I was like, wait, it's just white women in the wellness yeah. industry. I'm like, and I was I, here you oh are. I'm gosh, like, yes. it's like, what's going on? I'm, it, I was processing it, you know, as I was trying to find my, my voice in this platform, still, you know, trying to find my voice and look, seeing the lack of representation. And I realized, oh, wow, there's all the dominant narratives and voices are centered on white women, thin yeah. privilege, or even on uh, women in bigger bodies who are white. And so I was like, okay, something's going on here, even on social media. And and I gravitated to, uh, you're a black nutritionist, um, you're a Latina nutritionist. And there's another account that I really love. They're black women and Latina women who are just like, they're, they're trailblazers on social media. And I'm like, I hold on to the work. I, I really look up to the work that they're doing. And it's been a journey. It's been two years. And I think that after two years, I finally feel that I am embracing my voice. It's very yes. scary. It, it's, I am just being so honest and vulnerable. It's not easy. Like we teach, I'm a professor. I teach these topics in the classroom, but to come onto social media and you have a bigger audience mm-hmm. and like, you know, it, it's, it's intimidating. It, there's a lot, there's imposter syndrome, a lot of, of different challenges, but I think that I am morphing into a butterfly. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna spread my wings now and be like, 
yeah, yeah, no más calladita, no more like being silenced and feeling yeah. intimidated by like, I have so much knowledge and lived experience and academic, bring all this together, Dencia, and like share it. And even though it's scary to click post, <laughs> I do it. And you know what? It, it definitely resonates and we can sense that, like we can sense the authenticity. We can sense that it's coming from, from a place of, of, centering yourself you know and and doing it unapologetically so so thank you um i would love to if you're okay with that to go straight into yes. the topic which is yes which is wellness and nutrition and i'm glad that you mentioned it because mm -hmm. when i think about wellness and nutrition it does feel like a very white space it's very yes. white dominant and so i'm wondering because I think we all have different definitions of what is wellness, what is nutrition. Sweet. And so maybe you can tell us like, how are, how do you define wellness and nutrition? And then maybe we can get into how that applies to grad school and grad students too, because yes, I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that there's a lot of grad students out there that are mm -hmm. not prioritizing their wellness and their nutrition. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so full disclosure, I am not a nutritionist. I'm not a dietitian. I am a sociologist who specializes on race, class, yes. immigration, <laughs> all these different intersections. I'm a sociologist who focuses on sociology of food. So those are my areas of expertise, but I'm also a certified health coach but I do not give any nutritional advice. So just, you know, to let you know. as a So you're not going to tell me what to eat? No. <laughs> no. I love that. So just, you know, but, but, that, but even having said that, given my, my knowledge, when I think about wellness, it, it was hard at first to think about, to embrace wellness in a way that it didn't feel like it's this sort of wipe perspective or, or narrative and i think it's embracing uh wellness from our spiritual and indigenous mm. you know ancestry so wellness is going to look i don't have wellness is going to look different for everyone is your well-being so mm. doing things that are going to take care of your soul your spirit your your you know your heart <laughs> your mind um your body and so that's very unique to each person so wellness is a combination of different things right so it's not only just having we go into nutrition you know not for me nutrition is like having food that is going to nourish you yes so there's no there's no labeling food as good or bad or given a moral value and i think that is the dominant narrative when we think about nutrition from a western white standpoint and so as a sociologist and a health coach in the anti-dieting Nutrition is food that's going to nourish you, food that's going to give you the energy that you need for the day and that it's going to change every day. How farm workers view nutrition and what they need is different from someone who might be working in construction or who might be working in the service industry or a mm -hmm. white collar profession, right? So it is very tailored to that individual. Yet we have nutritionists and all these so-called you know, experts basically telling you certain foods are bad for you that you shouldn't eat them and oftentimes this comes from a very uh biased <laughs> uh and racist uh, framework right so there's a lot of undoing there in that in the nutrition sector in and stigmatizing and labeling our culture foods as bad you know and this morality comes from colonialism and white supremacy yeah. <laughs> 
And that sounds like some that that has something to do in common with grad school too, because yes, the history of you know institutions of higher education is that they are very you know um, catering to the elite white men for whom they were built for, and so it's no surprise that a lot of academic spaces can be toxic, and as such, may not be prioritizing an individual's wellness. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so that connection of, you know, with, when you said, you know, the connection with wellness and nutrition and grad students, first, we acknowledging that as students of color, um, navigating higher education is already very challenging, very difficult. And being in a predominantly white space, there's so much that we carry, right? All the microaggressions that we may experience, the discrimination, the racism, the imposter syndrome. I mean, um, this can get a really sad and depressing, but that's really not a place. I, everything that we, it's like, we're, but that's so important because that's going to affect our well being. Like, mm -hmm. we feel it in our bodies, right? So it's like, I feel like, think about carrying like a backpack, right? Through our education. And we get to grad school, and grad school se siente bien pesada. It's like, mm -hmm. oh gosh, it just it's, it gets heavier and heavier because not only do we feel that responsibility as first gen, right, to, to get that degree, but somehow we become the spokesperson person of our community because that's how you know they view us in class so we have all these like stressors and triggers and the history of intergenerational trauma like we're doing we're carrying all that while we're in grad school and hey you know we're not taking into account our finances what if you don't have a full ride what if you need yeah. to work right what if you're a parent what if you're a single parent you know there's all these different aspects that's going to affect our well-being and yeah. frankly like a veces the last thing we do is to take care of our our nutrition our, our yeah. eating right nos mal pasamos we might mm -hmm. not eat on time we might be eating um while we're working while we're studying where we're on the driving um you know i mean i can name all everything you know except <laughs> sitting down <laughs> and being mindful of what we're eating right so I oftentimes feel like from personal experience as a grad student is food eating like sometimes sometimes became like um second priority you mm -hmm. know like get that done i wouldn't you know wouldn't eat on time so se descuida uno and then your mm -hmm. wellness too right like you're like okay do i get this done now or do i go on a walk or you know i'm too stressed i need to go on a walk <laughs> so yeah. So it, it is challenging and we don't and I think, you know, going back and being critical, we don't have the, um, the infrastructure, we don't have, you know, these systems in place in grad school, especially, you know, speaking as a student, a parent. So it's hard being a student of color. Like when I was pregnant, yeah. honestly, I couldn't think about my, my brown body like I was pregnant, mm -hmm. I experienced so much. So many microaggressions, like yeah. a lot of stereotypes you know, for getting pregnant and, and a lot of like violence, you know, all academic mm. violence and like that I wasn't going to succeed because I got pregnant. I was going to have kids, you know, so that's hard enough. my wellness. I mean, I'm going to try to care my, you know, my, my baby, my, by my mm. pregnancy, but I'm still trying to survive in an institution that doesn't have the systems in place to, to offer programs and services and the support for student parents was mucho menos alimentación. Right. So we need that combination. I know that there's some institutions who are, who are have some of those community colleges and universities, and I'm sure you can speak to yeah. that. <laughs> no, I mean, I can relate to because that was also my experience as a graduate student, as um, an individual who also got pregnant in graduate school and facing a lot of a lot of violence, a lot of 
toxicity and just not, mm, it was not an encouraging space um, or healthy space for me. And in fact, it, it affected my my birth, like I suffered complications and that's a whole other story <laughs> that I've talked about multiple times. <laughs> the folks that listen to my podcast are like, you're always mentioning that. I'm like, that's called but trauma. We, it's called trauma and we need to keep talking about it because it takes it takes uh, courage. And I want to thank you for, for doing that. And, and we need to continue to have these conversations and normalize them, normalize that it's hard, that there's violence, that there's trauma and we're still... We're still like we still feel the repercussions, you know. Yeah. So, so healing a relationship like with food, it's also like healing those traumatic events that happened to us when we were in grad school for being a brown woman, but then for being pregnant, yeah, you know, for birthing a dissertation and a mm -hmm. baby. <laughs> yes, yes. The one thing that I'm hearing also when you're talking about the graduate school experience that is very common is that there's not a lot of room for reflection. There's not a lot of room for mindfulness. There's not, not a lot of room for, for like being in the moment and in the present moment for you to consider things like your health, your nutrition, your wellness. And I know you said it's different for everyone and you're not a nutritionist, <laughs> but are there like... Are there any ways, any tips, anything, any insights, consejos, anything for grad students to start to consider even reframing or or reminding them about being more intentional, um, things that they can do, integrate into their very busy lives to prioritize wellness and nutrition a little bit more? Yes, I love okay. that. And you, you said it, I think the first thing is reframing the toxic narratives that we grew up hearing about our bodies and about food that's mm -hmm. the first one and that's it sounds like that's the first one and that's the hardest one so it requires being vulnerable in recognizing you know what were the message messages that you grew up listening about food around your house and identifying those messages and identifying the people and oftentimes it is people that love us you know it's our parents or it's our family it's our friends so people that might be close to you like it's hard you know to realize like yes they love you but they also you know said things that were hurtful and that were oppressive so it's it's when acknowledging what are those narratives and you know the oppression behind that and like liberating that i think when we recognize that and i think that's part of my spirituality is like damn you know i grew up with all this stuff mm -hmm. so like and i carry and i feel that and if you saw me i was like todavía lo siento pesado it's yeah. still heavy so even for grad students like damn you're already struggling you know it's already hard enough in grad school and i'm like here i am Dr. Hortensia telling you, well, you know, you should also consider, you know, thinking about those oppressive narratives while you're in grad school. Like, okay, that's hard enough already. But mm -hmm. no, it's important because I think that's part of our liberation, right? And and it's a it's a shift in mm -hmm. in in narrative and it's reclaiming our cultural foods 
in a way that is going to be right for us, for that individual, right? So let's just talk about tortillas, right? That's a mm -hmm. good example, right? Tortillas en pan o arroz, right? Those are like, no comas tanta tortilla porque vas a engordar. Don't eat too many tortillas because you're going to gain weight. I mean, it sounds so like innocent, but that can affect you, right? That's one thing. So it's, it's reframing that like tortillas are nourishing, tortillas are ancestral foods, you know? Tortillas, you know, whatever it is, corn, fertility, no sé, you know, <laughs> I'm just going off. Pero people of the corn, people of the corn. Yes, no, en serio, like thinking, think about the food, like don't give it a moral value. One is reframing those thoughts, mm -hmm. identifying them, right? And identifying the, the people in your life, trying to set boundaries is another one. Mm. Pero también is, is, it's like having a, it's going to sound funny having a relationship with food honestly hablale tu comida like when you're <laughs> if you're cooking if if you bought it frozen whatever it is like develop that relationship even if you don't have time to eat or even make home cooked meals like just honor yourself for the food that you're gonna eat without judgment that's hard that's hella hard that's like we are living in a very judgmental society and i'm asking you stop judging your food stop judging how you eat what you eat like we already judge enough in society as women of color, right? So why are we gonna keep adding to that? But that's that's definitely, you know, a process. And then the, another thing is, um, I have a hard time with mindful eating and I'll tell you why, cause it sounds so white, okay? I have a hard time. I was uh, trained as an intuitive eating counselor. And when I was going through the training, I'm like, okay, how does this apply to my immigrant community? How does this apply to farm workers? Yeah. Okay, I, it ain't not resonating with me right now. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm resisting this right now. Mm -hmm. So, okay, when I think about mindful eating is like, again, I always think about this is a wide thing, right? But if I bring it back again, decolonizing our, our, um, or, or, or decolonizing our mind, decolonizing, mm -hmm. just decolonizing our food, but decolonizing our mind is like, okay, so what does it mean to be present? Okay, so if I am in a run, if you're a grad student and you don't have enough time to cook or even to eat, it's just giating gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. Mindful eating is going to look different. So move away from a wide perspective that is very oppressive and that is not inclusive. So you didn't going to define mindful eating in your own way. And it can be 30 seconds. It can even be a minute. Y está bien. Because you might not have the yeah. freaking luxury to just be like, I have 20 minutes to just sit here and, you know, mindfully And talk to my food. <laughs> You know, like, no, no se puede. You know, some people do a prayer, some mm. people eat in nature, you know, mm. whatever it is. So I'm just really here to just challenge you to think about wellness, intuitive eating. Yeah, I was going to mention intuitive eating. Can you say sí. a little bit more about that? Because it, it, it sounds similar to mindful eating, but uh, I don't, I, I wonder if you can expand more on that. Cause that's something that I'd like to say that I practice is more intuitive sí. eating sí. because uh, growing up, I, I was, I never really like uh, trusted myself or my body and what I ate. It was, you know, tienes que acabar todo lo que está en tu plato. you know, you have to eat everything yes. that's on your plate. And then I would eat and then I would get over full. And then at one point, I don't even think I realized what it felt to be actually full. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it and took some training for me to, to eat, to eat slowly, kind of more intentionally, and then allow my body to like do its thing of like letting me know that I'm full without feeling over 
full or without still being hungry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and I appreciate what you just said, because our eating habits, our relationship with food is tied and it's intricately connected to our socialization, how we were mm. raised at home. And you and me are part of the clean plate a team yeah. where no te levantas hasta que te acabe la comida. Because otherwise you know, those other poor kids. Yes, and make, get... yes and make you feel guilty. I still yeah. struggle with that. You know, oh, yeah. I still struggle with. So yeah, so it's acknowledging our food traumas that we have with our food yeah. and, and our families and then we lose and we're going we lose that connection with our bodies because mm -hmm. our eating and our fullness is dictated by our family by an adult by someone in authority but when in reality we need to trust our bodies you know we need to trust our kids at a very mm -hmm. early age why when they're you know that they know what's best like when they say they're full they're full why shove the food <laughs> or why yeah. you know you know, muchos parents doesn't eso. It's very violent, but we can. That's another conversation. So, yeah. like, we lose that connection with our bodies and our hunger and satiation cues, todo eso. Entonces, for intuitive eating, is this interrelationship or dynamic between um, our body, like our body signals cuando nos están diciendo that we're hungry, that we're full. Uh, pero también es nuestra mente, like the messages that I, the message that messages that we get around food. It is intuitive eating, this dynamic process where we don't judge your food, where we are honoring sort of that journey. But that's that's very difficult because it's like how do you how do you tune into your hunger cues? How do you turn into your when you're full or when you're craving? when you've did diets or when you were forced to eat your food growing up. So that requires a lot of dismantling yes. those, those practices that were oppressive in the past. It's scary. Por eso mucha gente no lo quiere hacer. They want to be dictated. No one's going to know, mm -hmm. like, no one, like even a nutritionist, they'll make you a meal plan or they'll tell you all this. But at the end of the day, it's like your body's going to let you know. You got to trust your body. Mm -hmm. So I often think about intuitive eating was a framework that was created by two uh, nutritionists, registered dietitians. And uh, I love their framework. But at the same time, I want to offer a critique that when mm. I think about intuitive, intuitive eating, when I was going through the certification, I was like, this is like our ancestors. They call it intuitive eating, but from an ancestral way, we've been doing this for thousands of years already, yeah. connecting and listening to your body. And then llegaron los colonizadores and then, you know, <laughs> things, uh, then, you know, all that violence that happened. So intuitive eating is, I think, this white Western uh, concept, but we've been practicing it for thousands of years. It's just a matter it's, of, yeah. of um remembering yeah remembering yes. that, yeah the, our ancestors practices right yeah and that um it's gonna look different from for everyone and i i know i keep going to that back because it's true it's about individuality bio individuality you think i te quiero mucho te aprecio pero no te voy a decir compra you know like oh if you buy me clothes how do you know i'm gonna like that clothes like you're not gonna let let someone else uh do a whole wardrobe change, right? It's like how, but why are we letting other people dictate what we eat, what we eat and how much we eat, right? That That's just, that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of unlearning and um, 
and it takes time. And I think that's what I'm reminded is that it, it's a healing journey. And, <laughs> and See, it's like, it like, you know, as soon as you realize, oh, oh, this is a thing that I should be working on, like problem solved it. It's a whole process, right? Yeah. Yeah. And part of intuitive eating too is recognizing that health is not based on the scale it's not based on the number it's not based on Ooh, I'm glad you mentioned that. yes it's so important and I, I think that's there's so much resistance to that people think like wait anti-dieting is anti-health no it's like these paradigms these ways of understanding health and nutrition and body is from a western perspective that is rooted in white supremacy frankly so we gotta name it and call it yeah. out of the way I mean if is. you look at the charts you're like oh see even like my children's growth charts they're yeah. like so so you were looking at a growth chart but what is the standard for this growth chart oh mm -hmm. it's a white mm -hmm. child you know or yes. it's a white formula fed child or whatever it is yes. that they decide yes. that is the norm and exactly. the same goes with the bmi it's like the bmi but whose yes. bodies are the bmi exactly yes exactly yeah. absolutely <laughs> so yeah that you know as parents i think about my own kids going to the doctor i start getting nervous and i'm a health coach and like i tell my kids you know you get and like don't pay attention to the doctor what they say about your weight and mm -hmm. and i tell them why i tell them that's bs this is and my kids just look at me like we know mama we know like yeah yeah like we get it but it's still gonna affect them yeah. because the doctor's telling them they're overweight you know but it's based on this very biased uh you know um measurement yeah. so part of intuitive eating is recognizing that diversity in bodies recognizing that health is not based on your weight you know yeah. I, there's people in bigger bodies and one thing is you don't need to love there's parts of my body that i don't love you know things you know i'm not going to mention them but I'll, yeah and that i'll make but i'm making peace i accept my body like i have to respect it in that and respect can look differently right but it is you intuitive eating is not like oh i love everything about my body or i embrace everything well that's great if some people are able to but intuitive eating is saying body appreciation body respect you know mm. i can't even you know when we have kids we have that um it, I, I call it jello my jello skin <laughs> Okay, the extra, extra skin the extra <laughs> the extra skin and then the stretch marks yeah. i don't like that I've been conditioned not to love that, but you know, I am embracing that. That's part of who I am as a mother of having three kids that I birthed. Mm -hmm. I gave birth and those stretch marks, yes, uh, battle scars. <laughs> yeah, it's part of who I am, yeah. you know? So, no me gusta, but part of intuiting is okay, I appreciate that this body, that this you know, belly man was able to carry three kids at different parts yes. in their life. So that is know, incredible. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, you know, challenging and shifting that, that narrative is a lot of narrative, you know, the reframing. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. The other thing that has come up in the conversation is a, there is a lot, there's a lot of um, external messaging that comes at us that causes us to feel shame or guilt in our bodies, in what we eat and how we take care of ourselves. And so I, I, I don't think that that really um, 
allows us to focus on joy and to um, love ourselves and to um, consider mm -hmm. our, our, our self-worth and all of that. So I would like to kind of start to talk a little bit more about the topic of, of joy and also the embracing guilt-free joy, because you're, you're saying there's a lot of the, the messaging that we have to reframe to help us to feel better um, in yes. our bodies, but then also feel better about ourselves. And I do think that gets us closer to feeling joy because the more yes. you love yourself, the more, the better yes. you feel. ¿no? <laughs> sí. And you know, there's a lot of amazing books. Uh, este de Sonia Renette Taylor. Uh, oh my gosh. Sure. Yes. That's a great book. So the Body is Not an Apology, right? The Body is Not an Apology. That's an amazing book uh, to read. And uh, there's this book written by Lala Delia. It's called, the title is Vibrate. Um, vibrate higher daily live your power and she starts off her book with the following how do you thrive in a world that does not honor who and what you are at the most real level and how is it okay that we have come to this how do you thrive in a world that has that does not honor who and what you are so when we think about joy mm -hmm. it's like and it's, I think this is really relevant because it's hard enough, right, as women of color to go through the educational pipeline and, and you know, get through grad school. It's hard to find that joy in a system yeah. that was not created for us when there's so much oppression, right? It's hard. It's like you're battling, you're going upstream. We're not meant to thrive, right? And so finding joy in our struggles is hard yeah. it is possible right and that's when we have to, i you know i have to go back and think about our families and, and and the strength of our ancestors so that we can continue that journey and finding you know um joy not finding joy not in the capitalist accolades mm, right and your sense yeah. of worth so i know i'm kind of like i'm still talking about joy right but not because joy is like i feel successful i feel accomplished but we, i really want to invite the reader not to get caught up with you know yes it's important that we're, we're succeeding that you're getting that degree but don't measure your joy, your external, your this external success on these capitalist ideas, ideologies. Measure them based on like, do you feel happy? Mm -hmm. Do you feel happy? Do you feel content? And that's and a hard nourished them, yeah. And nor yeah. and nourished because academia no te va a dar eso. You might get your degree and be miserable, and you know mm -hmm. that we know that we know mm -hmm. faculty who are top notch y todo, pero, you know, their personal lives are, are not very joyful. Yeah. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> no, pero si es cierto, you know, it is true. Yeah. And maybe that well, brings them joy. Yeah. But may, maybe that brings them joy. And that's when I realized I don't want this for me. I, this is not the type of life that I want and and enjoy and sense of fulfillment. I want to be in the community. I want to be close to my family. That's what's going to bring me joy. So again, joy, you know, not measuring it from these accolades, 
but like como te sientes like the inner work that's hard work Ooh, I, I know. encourage people to go to therapy you know like we all <laughs> but, you know therapy is muy importante porque si no estamos bien if we're not well you know spiritually or you know or or well mental well-being then that's going to have a big impact on everything that we do and we want to do things with intention you know with and the it's best all intention tied together verdad you know i know that yeah. like going back to like all these systems want us to compartmentalize even with our health it's so compartmentalized like physical health and then you have to see all the specialists and then physical health that's separate from mental health and then mental health gets stigmatized it's like you, yes. you gotta like think about yes. it like as like this whole you are a whole human being and so just as much as your physical health is important so too your mental health is important yes yeah. and having those conversations or finding that support system in grad school those the mentors the centers the resources outside of of academia in the community the agencies the you know you know outside that, that's very important for our well-being because if we don't have those type of support systems, it's going to make it a lot difficult for us like that journey. It's already hard enough. So yeah. having a supportive system is is part of that. I, I mentioned earlier to the, the topic of guilt free joy. I wanted mm -hmm. to stress the guilt part, too, because uh, in my experience in grad school, there was so much guilt. Anytime I was taking care of myself, I mean, anytime I was doing something other than being productive in an academic mm -hmm. way, I felt bad. And I noticed this in, you know, with the people that I work with, with some of my current students, even folks that just message me, who follow me, who listen to this podcast too. There's so much guilt still yes. of like even when I try to rest like I feel guilty resting or even when I try to rest I live at home and my mom tells me to go clean <laughs> yes oh I, yes guilt you know? is not only like right not only a, uh in regards to food feeling guilty leaving for the certain foods that we're eating but feeling guilt for taking time to nourish your body yes. to take care of yourself to slow down again I just want to emphasize how important it is like to go back to our childhood, you know, to identify those uh, those narratives that were oppressive. Why is it really hard for us to take care of ourselves, to take a step back, to slow down, to rest? Because I, there's that internal voice saying, no seas floja, mm -hmm. you have to be doing something. I, I tell you by Or thinking about our parents también. Yes. Oh, my yes. parents didn't have the privilege yes. of resting. So yes. why should I do that? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but we have to go back and, and build on the work by these wonderful women of color feminists who say that self-care is radical care is political, mm -hmm. right? So yes. reframing that and saying, you know, my, my self-care is, is political, is radical. And whatever that, whatever that may look like, and every day will be different. So mm -hmm. We need to have a lot of compassion for ourselves and for others because our families put a lot of pressure, even maybe our community, even the our colleagues, other people may put that pressure and we don't want to feel like que los vamos a fallar or that we're going to let them down. But ultimately, like we have to go. Uh, these, there's a saying that says, um, rápido, despacito que llevo prisa. Despacito que llevo prisa, meaning like, um, I, don't, I can't say that. What's the translation? I don't know. Go slowly. Fat, 
I don't go fast. Um, go fast. Slow down because I'm. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't figure it out right now. Despacio porque llevo prisa. Meaning that. See, I can't find the correct translation for that. It's so hard to say these. Despacio que llevo prisa. Yes, it's like uh, slow down. Slow down. We gotta slow down. <clears throat> when we slow down, we're able to accomplish more. But we're taught the contrary. Like everyone tells us the opposite. You know, and since I lost my grandmother in March, oof, that has been hard. It has been hard in many ways. And part of it is like going back here is I can't not go, I cannot live my life at the pace that I was living in the past. Mm-hmm. I was, I felt like a, um, an owl. <laughs> I felt like I was flying. I felt like I was spiritually disconnected. It's this big transformation and realizing I don't think my grandmother would want that for me. I don't think my ancestors mm. want that for me. I don't, and they're reminding me that I need to go back and center myself and my essence of who I am as an individual. And that means challenging these cap, this capitalism and white supremacy ideologies about productivity. So yes, self-care is radical. Yeah. It's political because it goes against patriarchy, you know, it goes against capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, todo lo demás. Like they white supremacy and these institutions don't want us to take care of ourselves because we're powerful beings and we could do so we're doing so much already. Imagínate. So, you know, I don't know. I feel like it's it's a way like to get you busy and disconnected from your essence, from your spirituality, from your mm-hmm. calling to do all these amazing things. I know that m- might not resonate with a lot of people, but I, this is what I've been reflecting spiritually. And that's when we don't when we begin to challenge these capitalist ideologies and white supremacy, that's this our ancestral wisdom. Mm-hmm. We got a little ancestral wisdom rise you know and it's it's you know it's been um oppressed through our education system but you know this both our academics are the you know indigenous epistemology is so important but it's not validated in academia and i'm here inviting our community to tap into that because that is powerful and that is radical and that you know that's transformative. And you can, once you do that, man, ¿quién te va a parar? <laughs> I'm reminded even this plática, like having a plática, having conversations. It's like the the oral histories of all the folks, be, you know, coming behind us. And like, um, you're talking about like the, kind of leaning into your ancestral knowledge that this is, this is not what's encouraged. It's not, it's not encouraged for us to, to, learn from experience to learn from our ancestors to learn from the things that cannot be easily documented uh yes. cannot be easily archived um and, and scientifically to... proven and scientifically oh my proven. Gosh. gosh that's <laughs> i that's why it's so hard I, yeah. I i know i feel like very vulnerable talking to you about this because it's like because these ideas and these feelings and the spiritual connection is not validated in these systems. But, but yet, what? What, I feel like when you're closer yeah. to it and in tune with it, Ooh. you feel it. <laughs> yes, powerful. Like, yes, yeah. exactly. So, it, it, yeah, it's not easy. It's just a lot of work. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of intergenerational trauma, a lot of healing in the process of connecting to our ancestral wisdom and to, and to our, our ancestors and, and 
and what they would like us to continue to do. You know, I, that's what guides my work. You know, when my grandma passed away, my ancestors told me how to honor her on her funeral. Mm. Mm. I was, it's like, wow, like it felt deep. And I was like, wow. And then, and I allowed my ancestors to guide me and to continue to guide me. And it's like, I had an aha moment, like mm. my ancestry is with Chol and I'm like, okay, you know, my ancestors are um, the caretakers of the peyote. I've lost that because of the colonialism, you know, mm. but if I am not in, you know, I can't go and be in certain spaces in Mexico and I might not be able to take care of of the peyote or do certain traditions or certain rituals, but then my ancestors saying your work is healing, mm. right? At your either your academic work, the work that you do in the community, your health coaching, and honestly, like that's how I see it. You know, I am part of that lineage, and I am using it in a in a different way, and that's 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 the calling and i am allowing myself to be guided to do that work but that is an ancestral connection and i don't expect our community who's listening to fully like maybe understand but i i feel it here and i have that i have that connection that is so strong and that's what guides the work that i do and i want to cry now <laughs> I just want to thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing. I, I really like felt it. And, you know, just in my experience from, from having lost loved ones myself in the past, um, I think that there's this closeness that you really feel when there's, it's almost like that, the opening of a portal when there's like a life death situation, whether there is a birth or, or a death mm -hmm. in the family um that that raw feeling that you get and the messages and if you open yourself up to that messaging it can be really healing like for me I I, I lost my my father when I was 12 and I have a very bad memory but I distinctly remember him coming back in my dreams to give me that last message and I still remember what he told me and I'm never gonna forget that I just really don't think I'm ever gonna forget that and so it's just it's you know, I'm, I I can sense that you had something similar in terms of that feeling that you got with the passing of your grandmother and that you are honoring her in the ways that you know best. And hopefully folks who listen to this podcast, because there is a lot of grief, you know, that folks are going through. I just uh, I just recently released an episode all about like, how do you navigate grief, especially like um, kind of different professional forms of grief and like mm -hmm. life transitions and yes. and when dealing with grief it's you know important to kind of uh, to open yourself up to like the messaging and to allow yourself to um, to see kind of like where it takes you you know to to feel the feelings and to to do what it is that feels right the calling yeah. whatever it is for yeah for each of us yeah. it's different yeah absolutely and um and this is an invitation for the community who's listening that we need to normalize our feelings. We need to normalize our grief. We need to normalize if it's anger, sadness, all these different feelings that we have, we need to normalize them. We need to embrace them because academia strips us from that, from being tuned to our feelings. We're not supposed to feel, we're not supposed to be, it, 
sort of this emotionally engaged and you know i mean that was my grad school experience and how can i not be invested in my community and the research that i was doing if it was going to have an impact or if it was affecting my community we are taught to basically you know to put up up, up front and and not mm. not show our emotions and i'm here to really challenge that this is who we are as human beings of course we need to find you know if it's a safe space, if it's going to be a space where you will be honored, you know, or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things to consider. It's very contextual, but we need to normalize crying. Mm-hmm. We need to normalize, you know, all these different feelings. And, and <laughs> You're telling school. someone who is who is a chillona. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I didn't realize I was a chillona until, I don't know, I maybe a year ago. It's like, Oh, now I know why I'm a chillona because I was never allowed to cry. And I was crying when I realized I was like, oh, I felt so much. I felt I went through so much oppression growing up that, ¿por qué lloras? No estoy llorando. Like, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't cry and I would cry silently or I would cry hiding. And now I just cry because it's like all this oppression that I felt. Now it's like I cry freely and I let my kids know. Yeah. You know, I feel like crying and and I, today is a tough day and I am very expressive to my kids about how I'm feeling. Y también when I'm mad, I'm like, okay, kids, you know, like you're pushing it. <laughs> okay, ya estoy enojada. <laughs> so, you know, communicating that because, you know, we don't want to continue those intergenerational cycles, right? Because it's yeah. not, that's, that's not good for our kids. So yeah, let's normalize our feelings. Let's normalize our, our grief, our sadness, or happy, not just the happy things, like toxic positivity and social media like mm. aquí estoy para decir. that's a whole other topic también. yes yeah. but, but it's connected because we're mm-hmm. supposed to always be smiling we're supposed to be happy and yes we are you know i'm happy about things that i've accomplished about all this but it, i feel like when i share how i feel it's like hey you're pessimistic just get over it it's like you just don't know how to sit with my feelings we're not ex- we're not taught to to just be in presence of others when we're not okay it's like we have to numb those feelings and mm-hmm. like the how to- are you question yes you how are you oh. expected to say <laughs> yes i'm good i yes. cannot yes. say i'm yes. good if i'm not exactly good. <laughs> yes i'm like that too in meetings and like oh i love doing this at the grocery store everywhere being a sociologist i try to disrupt these spaces all the time in a very you know very organic way and people are like oh wait what when i even ask them you know and people are like oh like, because they were so conditioned and trained to use this, like, oh, I'm doing well. But when you're like, no, I'm not, people are not ready to like, to respond because <laughs> yeah. you're not expected to, you're expected to just, you know, pretend everything's okay. Yeah. I um, I know we're getting close to wrapping things up. I, I feel like that you already shared a lot of really amazing closing words, but I'm wondering if there's anything else that you wanted to share, like any other closing thoughts or, or advice for first gen students of color is my primary audience if they are struggling with with any of these things whether it's prioritizing themselves their wellness their joy feeling their feelings um getting back to kind of tuning into ancestral ways of being decolonization all of the we could go on and on i know (laughs) i know yes Uh, or are any more dichos (laughs) no i really thought about this last one thinking okay i would like to end i have so much uh so many tips that i would like to give and 
guess one of the first one is be unapologetically you. Be unapologetically you. Be be who you are and 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 the different spaces that you navigate, especially if these these are white spaces. You have so much ancestral wisdom. You have so much power. Like tap into that. Don't let these white institutions to take that away from you. That's one thing. The other one is be very compassionate with your journey in life. Compassion for for yourself in your journey in grad school, when you're eating relationships, everything compassion is is hard. We are our worst critics, right? Uh, We're really hard on ourselves. And I'm learning to be very compassionate with myself. So that's hard work. Number three, set boundaries. Sounds easy, but it's hard, especially with family, mm-hmm. especially the toxic family members setting those boundaries. And again, boundaries are going to look very different. It might be like, I'm not going to pick up the phone because I'm being triggered. All right. You know, it, that's even setting a boundary, deciding when you're going to pick up the call if you want to or not. If you're going to engage in that conversation or reframing whatever they're saying, right? So boundaries with your loved ones is is important. Um, and then again, the last one, since we started with like health, uh, and wellness and nutrition is don't be, um, don't be, is the, the word is, um, don't be hard on yourself, but don't be judgmental and feel guilty for the food choices that you're making, especially when you're a student, if you are experiencing food insecurity, or if you don't have a big budget, be okay and be flexible with your eating. If that means that you're eating a combination of pre-made food, right? That you buy at the store, you're buying already a rotisserie chicken, or if you buy already food that is pre-made, pre-packed, that it's frozen, that it's canned, you know, all that is food. So I'm really inviting you to just nourish your body with the foods that you have available that are available for you you don't need to always eat fresh fruits and vegetables a lot of people don't have access to that people don't have access to time so nourishment is your is is individual it's individualized so i'm here to just tell you to begin that journey in dismantling and challenging those narratives about food don't give a moral value to food because that's where the guilt comes in like this is healthy we healthify food food is just food it has different nutritional value Mm -hmm. yes and you know what those doritos when i was in undergrad they got me through school i experienced food insecurity so and las maruchas the noodle soups that's what got me to school when i was an undergrad and so yeah, maybe it's seen as bad food or processed, but you know what? That was what was available for me back then. And so I am healing my relationship with noodles <laughs> and <laughs> I'm still am because Aww. it causes, it causes trauma. So yeah. if you, if you need to eat processed food, because that's what's available, don't let other people shame you. Mm-mm. And especially with minoritized communities, that's the first thing people do. We sh- we're ashamed for our food choices, but our food choices are shaped by all these other, you know, external things. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I think that's uh, that final message is especially important because it's one thing to say we're going to focus on 
on your health and nutrition and, you know, do this and that, but we actually don't know what's going on on the other side. We can't assume what anybody's means, capacities, circumstances are. And so I, I love that you're saying that, like, just work with what you have, what's within your means and, and to kind of eliminate the the guilt, the shame, and the good, bad messaging. Yes, yeah. because that's rooted in white supremacy and mm -hmm. it's racist and elitist. Okay, so I how can I come here and tell you eat whole foods, eat like all vegetables, <laughs> all organic? Like, no, like I'm, a, I'm, what am I doing? I'm just perpetuating further oppression and and racist thinking and elitist thinking. But you know what? Us and Latinx communities, it's so internalized in many ways. Oh, and then we're already labeling people because they're eating frozen fruit or they're eating canned uh, fruit. You know, si no les gusta, bien. si no les gustan los vegetables, that's one thing too, right? Yeah. But the fact is that people need to have autonomy for their food choices. But mm -hmm. again, there's other structural issues that we need to address about the food supply system. The, the mm -hmm. food, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. You know, why, why we have to make certain concessions you know with their food choices too yeah yeah i mean yeah we didn't get to cover yeah <laughs> all of that like the food deserts and availability and classism mm -hmm. and all that stuff but that's important right especially yeah. since you're bringing all this together as a grad mm -hmm. student it's like sometimes we feel bad for the food choices that we're making but you have to remind yourself that this is based on our social class it's based on the communities that we come from and what we have access to or not it's you know and and it might change también, you know? Yes. So, yes. like you said, yes. you're healing your relationship with the noodles, sí. you know? Yes. And, you know, your, your, <laughs> your circumstances are probably very different from when you, you were eating yes. noodles. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And not to be in a place where you're like, oh, this is better eating, or this is healthier, or this is what you should be doing, which that's problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, for folks, I know I said that was like the final closing words. But for folks who resonated with what you said today and uh, would like to stay in touch in some way, shape or form, how can they reach you? They can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Hortensia Jimenez. And that's the only platform I have right now. I had TikTok, but I closed it, you know, when I started my grief and I was like, ah, I just need to focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. So you can do social media. Also, you can send me an email at you turn to wellness at gmail.com and i'm sure you'll put that in yes they the, will be in the show yes. notes yeah mm -hmm. you can reach out if you have any questions i'm more than happy to you know to engage in conversation ah oh, thank you so much Dr. Artencia. it was so lovely to have you on today sharing your wisdom your knowledge your experiences y todo todo mucho mucho más um i really appreciate our time together and and i'm I'm so glad that you were able to share space with me today. No, pues muchas gracias. Thank you so much for reaching out, um, for inviting me. Um, it was fun and uh, I wish everyone the best of luck in their grad journey in higher education and, you know, take care of yourselves. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right. One free session. 
Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at gradschoolfemtoring. Thanks again and until next time.